From KGW News, this is Straight Talk with Laurel Porter. Hello and welcome to Straight Talk. I'm Laurel Porter. This November, Portland voters will decide whether to change the city's form of government. Portland is the only major city in the U.S. that still uses a commission-style form of government and is often blamed for standing in the way of a city running more efficiently. A charter commission made up of 20 volunteers worked about a year and a half to come up with a plan to fix the problem. In this week's episode of Straight Talk, City Commissioner Dan Ryan joins us to weigh in on the proposed changes. We'll also find out the latest on the Safe Rest Villages. He's heading up to help address the city's homeless crisis. And we'll talk trailblazers. Commissioner Ryan is a big fan and wants to help lead the way in making sure the team stays put in Rip City. Welcome to my guest, Portland City Commissioner Dan Ryan. Welcome to Straight Talk. You know, you were elected in the special election right in the middle of the pandemic. Yes. So this is our first opportunity to have you right here it, in the studio. Yes, it's the first time we've been in person. It's great. Well, welcome. It's nice to Thank have you. you here. Let's begin with the sweeping changes proposed for the way the city runs. Mm -hmm. Voters are going to have a chance to decide in November. How critical, how important is this vote, do you think? Oh, it's so important. You know, Portlanders have been talking about this for a while. I know the first time I ran just two years ago, <clears throat> it, was a, it was a topic of interest. And this uh, spring, when I was out on the campaign trail, it was one of the number one issues that every living room across the city was interested in. So I think the appetite to weigh in on this is big. Well, let's dig into exactly mm -hmm. what these changes would do. The city council would expand from five members, including the mayor, to 12 councilors, three each from four new geographic districts. Portlanders would be able to vote for multiple candidates for council seats, ranking them in order of preference. The mayor would move to an executive role, so would not actually be a member of the council. The mayor would have a tiebreaker vote, but no veto power. A city manager would be hired to oversee day-to-day -day operations and the various bureaus. You'd know longer be in charge of various bureaus. Mayor Wheeler and Commissioner Mingus Maps have come out against the changes saying too much is crammed into one measure and I don't think the mayor likes not having the veto power. You've been pretty neutral on this as far as I've been able to see so far. Where do you stand? How will you vote on this? Well first of all that was a great summary of what this is so thank you that's a real service to the voters and I want to start off by thanking the 20, 20 volunteers who are the commissioners of this charter review and they've spent so many hours on this. They really dove in deep and after they, we, we appointed them, each, each office got to appoint four people. So I really got out of the way and let them do their work. Then when they came out with their proposal, about the same time everyone did have a chance to look at it, I wanted to make sure that I had some conversations. So I reached out to five, four, four were supportive of it, and one voted no, which is about the same odds as the vote, 17 to three. And I wanted to get a better understanding, you know, listen to understand and get a better sense of how they landed on this position. And I thought they did some really good methodical work. I think they were really uh, pioneers and uh, courageous about making sure that they really went hard on system mm -hmm. change. And so I, I applaud that effort. But where do you stand? <laughs> <laughs> we want to know how you're going to vote. So after um, spending some time and doing a lot of reflection and, and looping back a couple times, I first of all will say that I, as a voter, am going to choose to vote no on this. And, and why? I'm voting no because I think that I think that we don't need a weaker mayor. I think that the executive mayor position should be on city council. I think having the mayor in dialogue with the rest of the city council is very healthy. I think local government is hands-on and it's relational and I think it's important for us to not be separate from one another. So I like having the mayor as a part of the city council. 
Um, I'm really big advocate, and I think almost everyone is for a city manager. And I'll tell you, having 23 bureaus and some offices that seem like bureaus, um, having a chance to do some systemic change on, or, on the organizational chart is very necessary. And having a city manager focused on such things like that is very important. So, and I think the geographic reach is a good idea. Um, but all said, um, I think that it's not, I think we're going from the most antiquated form of government to kind of an experiment. Um, and, and I don't think at a time like this, most Portlanders that I've talked to, all right, let me just say this. When I was on the campaign trail, the enthusiasm for charter review was really high. And I told this to all of the commissioners when they, when they first um, came out with their proposal. And then when their proposal came out, the enthusiasm dipped considerably. And the one thing I kept hearing over and over and over again was going from five to 13 politicians is not my idea of, of reform. And so I think that that's part of it. I think, I think we need geographic representation. I think maybe a number like six or seven would be good. And I'm not sure if I could ever get uh, strongly uh, supportive of having multiple people from one district. And as you said, though, they did do a lot of research. And yeah, they, they said did. they researched best practices. And they think this is going to make the city <coughs> more equitable. They also said if voters turn it down, that the city will continue along what it called its dysfunctional path. And it'll be a long time, maybe years, before the voters actually have an opportunity again to make a change. How do you yeah. respond to that? Well, I think I want to mention a couple things. One is um, I think the diversity, inclusion, and equity uh, argument and making sure that we get results for that is important. And I want to remind everybody, our campaign finance reform laws that we put into effect a few years ago that I ran on, under, where you have a 250 uh, maximum limit is a very good thing and I think we took it further to the small donor program this last time so $20 is matched nine to one you see a different composite on the City Council than ever before and you also see candidates having significant legitimate races because of that so I'm a big pro advocate for the campaign finance reform and the results that that's getting so I just want to remember that I also want to say that I'm gonna do the will of the voters so if the will of the voters says that let's do this I'm all in and I will make sure that I'm there for the transition because it's going to be a very complicated transition. And I will, I will definitely play my part in that. If the voters decide to reject this, I'm also going to play an active role. I know that the appetite on this city council is to do the will of the voters and stay focused on this. There's no way we'll wait 10 more years. There would be something on the ballot in 2023 if this fails, and the whole city council will come together, do community engagement, and have something on the ballot in 2023. I know something else that you really are focused on is the safe rest villages. You've you've led the way on trying to establish six safe rest villages, and we have a map of where where they are and where they're proposed to be. And for people who don't know, they're alternative shelters and trying to offer people this entry point into the continuum from living on the streets mm -hmm. to eventually, hopefully, getting permanent housing. It's been slower than you had hoped. You wanted to get these villages open at the end of last year. It's been harder than you thought. Are you happy with the progress you've made so far? Yeah, the momentum's there. I think ever since the mayor gave us emergency authority to plot the land, to, to identify where they're located, that was a big game changer. And we're making great progress. And we're also seeing the results that we were hoping. Just early indications are so, are so positive. 23 people within just a few months have now been put into permanent housing. Why? Well, they're in a setting where they can build relationships. They're safe themselves from not being on the streets, and they have a chance to um, work with the case manager, and, they're, and we know their name. And so we're able to really work with them inside the village, and they've been put into permanent housing. And so the early signs are exactly what we hope for. This is an on-ramp 
from being chronically homeless to having a shot at building your resilience and moving forward in life. And we have some photos that we just got today of some tiny homes being built for, for Menlo Park in, oh, yeah. in Southeast. So tell us a, a status report of when is this one going to open? <coughs> when do you hope to have other ones open? Yeah, the one out at Menlo Park, and thank you TriMet for being the partner, that will open uh, by the end of this month or September, uh, the next month. And we are excited about the fact that that one will have 60 um, tiny homes. And we are really excited about the partnership with the, the builder that you're talking about. It's someone with lived experience that now is giving back to their community. They're working with women trades organizations, which is good. So, you know, the multiplier effect of what these can do for the ecosystem of Portland is really important for us. And so we like that we're losing, we're resourcing with local entities, which is really good with all the supply chain issues, of course. And um, so I'm excited about the fact that that will open in September and then the saved park village that's out um, on Sunderland, out towards Marine Drive, will be ready. Well, the construction will be completed um, in September as well. And then the county will uh, put a provider in and we'll have our first safe park village. And the rest of them will be open. Uh, we're feeling pretty confident. Qualifying statement is the supply chain issues and mm -hmm. such. It, but all of that withstanding, we're looking good to have them all open by the end of this calendar year. End of this year. Yeah. That's ambitious, only a few more months. I wanted to ask you about your first one, though. There's some questions about that, possible uh, challenges and obstacles at the Multnomah <clears throat> Village one at uh, the Sears Army Reserve mm -hmm. Center because apparently FEMA is saying that the city is violating its deed restrictions, that that land is supposed to be used for emergency management services only. Is there a, a chance that that village will have to close because of that? I'm feeling positive about the fact that it will be used for these purposes uh, that I think they're intended to. This is an emergency, humanitarian crisis that we're dealing with and I know the staff is working with FEMA and I know that I've been in communication with the members of the federal delegation and we're all aligned to know that this is the right thing to do. So you're encouraged and optimistic it will stay open. Yeah but what I'm really encouraged and excited about is the way the neighbors are leaning into that that specific site. There's a garden plots that are now taking off. Um, there's going to be a job fair there uh, in a few weeks and that's what this was supposed to be about is uh, having the community also take some ownership over the villages and let them be a part of the of building the restoration. Well, speaking of neighbors, though, there yeah. there are neighbors who've complained. I, I know you've heard that from, sure. and your team has heard that. They've said that they don't feel that you and your team have been responsive to their concerns. You haven't listened to their concerns. And there was a group in Lentz Park last weekend that rallied against a proposed village there. Do you feel like you've been responsive enough to the neighbors' concerns? Well, I know I've been to a lot of meetings, um, uh, about uh, many, many meetings, and so has my team, I think over 50. Anyway, we've been to a lot of meetings and we've actually negotiated also with all of the sites about safety concerns and we've listened to their concerns and we've went through the list and we've all been meeting those uh, those needs and those requirements. So actually, I think the communication's been about as healthy as, you can, as it could be. I think when you're in an emergency and you're building with all of these headwinds against you, it's gonna be a bumpy ride, but this is where we are and you have to have the courage to do what's right for the city of Portland right now. And it doesn't mean that it's gonna make everyone comfortable, but what I'm finding is that once they're built, I think that usually that will dissipate. We're already seeing good responses for the three that we have open. Well, what about concerns? What are you doing to make sure that the, the villages remain safe, that, that you avoid violence and, and yeah. weapons at the village? Well, first, remember the people moving into these villages have chosen to receive these services. One of the main reasons they're choosing to do that is because they don't feel safe. So I think that the people moving into the villages and the neighbors that express these concerns are on the same exact page. Then we also have 24-7 supervision. There's um, standards with each one that, of course, there's no one can have weapons on the site. So those are, those, those are mitigated quickly and if in case they do break the rules. 
And we have a great system wraparound support too uh, that we've been talking about for a while and we've resourced those teams. So there's more response. I mean, I have a story of an incident that occurred uh, down at the one that we opened on Southwest NATO. And the only difference between before this was open and after is that the response from the city and the system was much quicker in terms of someone camping near the school. Well, let's talk more in general about houselessness. And the mayor has issued some emergency declarations, the most recent one banning camping near schools and along routes to and from school. Also, he had an emergency declaration banning camps near freeways and high-risk corridors. Are you uh, satisfied with that? How do you feel about the mayor's emergency declarations? I think a lot of these conversations, well, first of all, they should be longer conversations because they are complex, is that um, everyone's concerned about safety. And also we have to keep in mind that we have children and families that are homeless. We have situations where a family chooses to camp near a school so the kid can get to school on time. So we just have to be sensitive to the reality that we're living in right now. And I think that it's important that we provide buffer zones of safety. I think when parents drop off their school, their children at school, uh, it's a big deal and they want to make sure that their child is going to be safe and that starts with that moment. So I think we're all just being very conscientious of how important it is to all come together to make our city safer and that does include getting our kiddos to school safe and secure. A, a lot of people who look at the houseless situation in Portland look at the sweeps and cleaning up the camps as a cycle that some of the, the people who are living on the street just move down the street around the corner and mm -hmm. then end up coming back. And we talked to one man who was asked to move. His name is Lobo, so let's listen to what he had to say. I'm getting ready to leave because we're not allowed to be anywhere. It's demoralizing. It um, makes me uh, feel like that I'm lower than uh, the lowest of the, the human class. Uh, it seems as if uh, they made it illegal to be uh, a person in Portland. And that, that is hard to hear, and I know homeless advocates are critical because they, they say it's not fair to make people move when you don't have a place to send them, and it doesn't really get to the root cause of homelessness or a permanent solution. Do you feel that the homeless crisis in Portland is solvable? I think as a state and as a county and as a city, it has to remain our number one priority, and we have to include the improvements to mental health and behavioral health. What I want to say to that, the person that we just listened to, yeah, that is hard to listen to. But we also need to remember that usually in all these cases that I've been tracking, there is an outreach team that goes around before, the, before someone's asked to move and offers services. And the number of people who are homeless that are refusing services is a very high number. I think that anyone in there, that's, their faculties are, in, are, I think that most people when they're on the streets and they're offered services would say yes, unless there's other circumstances mm -hmm. going on in their life. And so when you live in a city, in a state that has the highest number of people who are suffering and untreated behavioral health issues, and we have the fewest amount of treatment centers, that's where we need to get to the bottom line. And that's why in the gubernatorial race, that needs to be one of the top priorities. Our I know, next we're governor. Hearing a lot of the candidates yeah. talk about that. We have a debate coming up here on October 19th. So I'm sure we will Stay ask on that about topic. that. Yeah. We will. No, it's embarrassing. Uh, it is. Yes, well, it, it yeah. is. It really and it's, something a, and on it's a humanitarian crisis. It's just not right for a city and a state that prides itself on being compassionate to observe what we're seeing on the streets. It's like you're walking over people that, I mean, across City Hall today, mm -hmm. someone was, is sleeping. It, it's not right. And when people come to Portland, they see that, they wonder, if we are a compassionate city. Mm -hmm.
Well, polls show that it's the number one concern of yeah. Portlanders. It remains so. And speaking about downtown, uh, KGW reported on a couple of studies mm -hmm. on Portland's recovery downtown since the pandemic. And one study says that we're not doing that well. We're, we're near the bottom of the barrel. At, when you look at 62 major cities, we rank 60th. That was a UC Berkeley study. There's another study, I think it was Portland Clean and Safe, maybe looked at that, that was more optimistic. But mm -hmm. the one thing that the two studies agreed on is that the numbers of people coming downtown on weekdays is down and they mm -hmm. say because people are not coming back to work <clears throat> how do you feel about people coming back to work in portland and is your team back to work first of all i think those studies are accurate just because i know i've been coming downtown on weekends as well and i'm always kind of excited about the foot traffic and i've seen it on week uh, in, in the evenings as well that was also the case before COVID. just keep in mind mm -hmm. proportionality is different um, our office is back. Uh, we've been back for a while. I, I'm there at least three days a week. Um, I have some virtual and I'm also hopefully out in the out in the field as much as possible. But the fact is all of uh, the city council offices are are definitely back in City Hall much more frequently than we were. Our meetings are finally in person, which has helped tremendously. Nothing like having conversations with the people you serve with in between meetings. Right. And to think that we were suffering and not doing that for a year and a half is, is, is mind blowing actually. I do think it's important as public servants, as a mission-driven organization, the city of Portland, to play our part and to be um, in the office, to be in person, to meet our, our customers internally and externally in person, just like you and I are doing right now. I've enjoyed every interview with you, but this is way more fun. It's a yeah. lot more fun to have everybody here on set. So I think three days a week would be a nice aspirational goal. I think that it's important to have an all-in day, maybe all-in Wednesdays, since that's when we have our city council meetings. And I also think we have to lean into what are the factors that make it challenging. And they're the same factors that were challenging when I ran an organization. So people need flex time so they can pick up their kids from school. They need flex time so they can go to their personal appointments. That's what a professional should have. And we have to look at transportation. We have a 0.5, like 50%, I think, subsidy with TriMet. Maybe we should make that go further. So we have to meet the employees where they are to make it a better a journey for them to come back in person. But humanity needs us all to be in person more often. I think this isolation is, is bad for society. Well, Commissioner, it's time for us to take a break, but when we come back, Commissioner Ryan might also be called the Trailblazers Commissioner. He's <laughs> determined to make sure the team he loves stays right here in Portland. More with Trailblazers Commissioner Dan Ryan in two minutes. Welcome back to Straight Talk. I'm Laurel Porter. We're talking with Portland City Commissioner Dan Ryan. And once again, it's great to have you here in the studio. It's so good to be here. Yeah. I, I think that the first time you and I met was years ago at a Trailblazer game. Of course. We both share a love for the Trailblazers. Tell me about your love for the team. How did it start? Well, first, I, I love what you just said before the break. The, the Trailblazer, Trailblazer Commissioner. Commissioner. All right, can you have I a new tell role the mayor? Now, yes. That's a new assignment. A new bureau, yes. All right, got it. <laughs> uh, well, my 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 affair, my love affair with the Blazers goes way back when they first started as a franchise. I remember we'd get the tickets, the standing room only tickets at the Coliseum, mm -hmm. and you'd stand along that wall in kind of in the middle of the Coliseum. And then when I was a freshman at Roosevelt High School, the, uh, the, the championship, uh, we won the championship, it was the end of the school year. And I said to my mom, like, I have to go to this parade. 
and that means I'll be skipping school. And then uh, she said, well, this just once, I'll, I'll let you skip school. And so it was such a wonderful day. I remember getting, I shook the hands with like every trailblazer. Of course, as, at that age, I didn't want to wash my hands for a while. I was so excited. I, bet. I bet there were a lot of other kids who skipped school that day. And I, from people who were there, I hear it was just an amazing day in Portland. I hope someday. I'll never forget it, and I want to experience that again. Yes, yeah. I hope someday we get to repeat that, which right. brings me to the question about these concerns about the team possibly being sold in the near future, maybe moving out of a city. What are your thoughts about that? How are you feeling about that? Well, I think that the fact is we have to be on it. And so the populist movement of Portlanders reminding the NBA that this is our RIP city, this is our team is important. I, there's a good story just recently about that when the Vulcan uh, people who are the owners of the Blazers, Jody Allen, the sister, uh, thought it might be a good idea to not have the broadcasters go on the road with the team. Um, the radio uh, personalities of Chad Dewing and I think Dwight James got on that and there was a mobilization. And I think that's exactly why Vulcan then reversed their decision. That's just an example of how on it Portlanders are for mm -hmm. their team. This is our team, unlike any other big city with, with sports franchises. This is our one big franchise. I love the Timbers, I love the Thorns. However, when it comes to like basketball, football, baseball, or whatever, th this is definitely our team. And there's so much enthusiasm. I think it's also known that after Paul Allen passed, it was always well known that probably within a couple of years, the team would be sold and then the proceeds would go to the Paul Allen Trust. So I think that there's some uncertainty right now with the ownership of the Blazers for the long term. And that uncertainty, like in any climate and any leadership, can lead to some confusion and some um, concerns. And so I think we just have to keep letting, I mean, I, I, I'm on team widen with this one. So I actually uh, had a conversation. Because he with was the here Senate. on Straight Talk yes. last week talking But I didn't know this Blazers. was going to be the topic. We just had a, to check in on things like the Safe Rest Village, but I couldn't help it because I heard his eulogy at Harry Glickman's service. And I know he's just all in for the Blazers. I had no idea he played college ball. I can't do that. My career started, stopped at middle school. <laughs> but we, I, and, and then he's friends with the head of the NBA. Right, Adam Silver. Adam Silver, correct. So, you know, I'm, I want to be aligned with the good senator and also what can the city do so what is the city doing what are you doing yeah. as the trailblazer commissioner well for example the albina vision trust has a, a wonderful vision for that area and that vision must include the entertainment center called the rose quarter that includes the anchor which are the portland trailblazers we also should have an MB, a WNBA franchise. So we have to lean in to that neighborhood and do all we can for li livability concerns, zoning concerns, permitting concerns, to make sure that that venue is one of the best in the, in the country. And right now, it's the fans that make it special. It's getting a little old, so we have to like look at that too. And the next owner, we need to know that the city is going to be an active partner for them to take that uh, state-of-the-art facility to another level. And I also understand you're considering a proclamation, a city proclamation to let the team know how much you love them and the, and the city loves them. Yeah, absolutely. So the season begins towards the end of October. I think it's around October 20th, 21st. Mm -hmm. So that week at council, we'll make sure that we kick off the Blazer season and hopefully Blaze will be there and we'll have a good time. But we just want Portlanders to know, and I want uh, Portlanders to know that the city council is sports friendly. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't have six older brothers for nothing. So I'm definitely all in for sports and I'm going to make sure that we really celebrate the opening of the season. Will you be there at the home opener? Well, I got it figured out now. So, yeah, I would be there. <laughs> October yeah. 21st against the Suns. It's the that's Suns, right. that's right. Yes, you yeah. got to be there. Yeah. Well, before we go, yes. we have to say to you, uh, all of us here at KGW, want to congratulate you and your fiance, uh, Amo Reyes, on your engagement and your upcoming wedding on September 4th at the coast. Are you excited? I mean, are you ready for this? 
I am. I mean, you'd hope that um, I've been doing life for about 60 years now. And I, uh, when I found out I was HIV positive in the early, my early 20s, I'm a long-term survivor. It's been about 40 years. So Congratulations I actually on that a, as well. Thank you. So I, don't know, I didn't know I'd get a chance to be on city council having conversations with Laura Porter about the trailblazers and then celebrating the fact that Amo and I are going to be married on September 4th. I can tell that you're very emotional <laughs> about that. Congratulations yeah. to you, you both. Yeah. Um, we have about 30 seconds for a final thought that you'd like to share with our viewers. You know, I think what I want to end with is that Portland has to be the city that builds right now. We have to be the city that innovates. We have to just go for it. We're going to make some mistakes, but we cannot rest on our laurels. So to speak. So, <laughs> so to speak. speak. <laughs> right. So, so, um, my, so I, whether it's permitting improvement, whether it's building safe villages, whether it's on-ramps to permanent housing for, for home ownership, we got to find our chutzpah to start building and really be that city that inspires others to want to move here again. And if anybody can do it, Portland can do that, right? We can. We can. And we will. Commissioner Dan Ryan, Trailblazers Commissioner, thank you for joining us. Thank you so here much. Here on Straight Talk. What a pleasure. And thank you for watching. Now, we're off next week for the Labor Day weekend, but we're back in two weeks with a look at the hospital staffing crisis in Oregon and what that means for you. Join us then for Straight Talk. And we also want to remind you about our podcast, KGW Straight Talk. Just search for that wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you next week or the week after for Straight Talk. Have a great week.